You know, for a long time, I meant to try Pete's coffee, but just never gave it a chance. But ever since I did, I have a hard time settling on anything less. And there's something to say about a coffee company with such rich history and devotion to bring you that perfect brew. Since Alfred Pete opened his first coffee bar in 1966, Pete's has selectively sourced the finest beans in the world, carefully calibrating each roast by hand and crafting each beverage with the utmost care. Pete's aims to produce fresh from the roaster's coffee delivered directly to your door, sourcing the top 1% of coffee beans, roasted by hand to unlock each bean's potential, and delivering it to you fresh to bring you the perfect cup. With over 30 flavor varieties in both gourmet coffees and teas, like Vietnam Lotus Bold, Major Dickinson's Blend, and Arabian Mocha Java, you are sure to find the right flavor to start your day. And they even come in K-Cups for those of you who live life on the go. Check out all the varieties of Pete's has to offer by following the link in the show notes below. And starting August 30th, you can take advantage of their Labor Day sale and get yourself 20% off anything on their site by using promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout. This offer is valid through September 5th. That's promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase this Labor Day. But why not do one better? Use promo code NEWSUB30 at checkout and you get yourself 30% off of a new subscription to Pete's Coffee. That's right. All the delicious coffee you could want delivered right to your door each and every month without you ever having to worry about running low. What more could you ever need? That's promo code NEWSUB30 for 30% off your subscription. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee and talk about movies. My name is Sean Tatro, and today with my girlfriend and co-host Leah Diana, we will be winding back the reel to 1976 where a mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City, where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action in Taxi Driver. Let's get into it. Second call, 404 Avalon, 417. One item five, Alfano, De Niro. And bang the drum slowly. The critics called him a brilliant new talent. After mean streets, they said he was a genius. For his performance in The Godfather Part Two, they gave him the Academy Award. Come on, man. Just get me out of here, all right? Now, Robert De Niro creates a terrifying portrait of life on the edge of madness. Tabby, just forget about this. It's nothing. Taxi Driver, a film by Martin Scorsese. People do anything in front of a taxi driver. I mean anything. People too cheap to, to rent a hotel room. Oh, driver, hurry up, will you? People want to embarrass you. It's like you're not even there. It's like, you know, like a taxi driver doesn't even exist. This city here is like an open sewer, you know? It's full of filth and scum. 
think I know what you mean, Travis. But it's not gonna be easy. Didn't guys get to be a Secret Service man? What? Well, I was just curious, because I thought maybe I'd make a good one. Hey, what kind of guns do you guys carry? 38s, 45s, 357 Magnums, something bigger, maybe. Hi. I'd like to volunteer. Why? Why? Because I think that you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. The taxi driver is looking for a target. Getting ready. Getting organized. Preparing himself for the only moment in his life that will ever mean anything. How much for everything? 350 for the Magnum. 250 for the 38, one and a quarter for the 25, 150 for the 380. That taxi driver's been staring at us. You talking to me? You talking to me? I don't know who's weirder, you or me. <laughs> you talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking? You talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. I don't believe I've ever met anyone quite like you. Oh, yeah? You never see a more chilling performance than this. Robert De Niro in Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Jodie Foster. Albert Brooks. Harvey Keitel. Leonard Harris. Peter Boyle. Sybil Shepard. Taxi Driver. Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers. Tell all your grave robbing friends I want them out of the city now! The nightmare of insane murder. From the depths of hell. Don't mind me. I'm just dipping a cookie into hot chocolate. Yes, it is at the time of recording this, October 1st. At 9.48 p.m. This is the latest we've ever recorded a podcast. Yes, we we had a bit of a long day, so we, we're just getting to this now. And uh, it's a bit chilly out. Rather than drinking coffee, we switched to hot cocoa tonight. Why is it chilly in the apartment, Sean? Because I live with someone who can't feasibly stand the idea of closing the fucking windows no matter how cold it is before december 1st we've had to have the windows buttoned because it was so hot all summer and the minute i could keep these windows open oh they're open but it got really cold today because there was a hurricane that just hit florida hurricane ian side note my father stepmother and two stepsisters and my half sister live in florida and I sent my dad a text going, hey, it's really nice that your son is visiting you, um, but does he have to be so destructive? My younger brother's name is Ian. Everyone has been busting his chops. If you were affected by the hurricane, I am very sorry and I hope everything goes well. But I'm really sorry my brother was an asshole and ruined shit. So we watched a weird movie. <laughs> okay, it wasn't a weird movie. It's not weird. I mean, it's... I keep forgetting that movies by certain directors and i'm not i'm not like being like oh certain directors are assholes i'm saying certain directors had creative and artistic views for films 
And you don't see that nowadays, unless you're really, really going to like a film festival, or you're really looking for these like smaller directors that were influenced by these people. I really don't think I've seen a movie like this before. No, nowadays, a lot of the things that we get, a lot of the things in theaters and uh, even coming to like streaming services and stuff like that are very cookie cutter. They're very studio driven um, and strategically built by writers to make the biggest amount of money. I.e. the movie that released yesterday. Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus 2. We've not seen it. We've not seen it. Um, However, this was made during a time when filmmakers were much more independent. Like they were doing things on their own. Uh, Studios had less control over what was coming in. They just kind of bought movies as they went to festivals and stuff like that. I don't know if that was the case with this one, considering by this time, uh, Martin Scorsese had made a couple of, had a couple of movies under his belt already. Hmm. So I think this was one of his first, like, big, like, the movie that made the big impact that launched, basically launched his whole career. Honestly, I was looking over, because I'll be honest, this one we don't really have a play-by-play for. This one we're probably just going to analyze the movie for what it was worth, not by -by play-by-play. But watching this, I was looking up, like, things because when I, last week, when I said, ugh, I don't want to watch a Martin Scorsese film, ugh, this guy sucks, bleh. I didn't hate this film. You had no reason to hate this film. I had no reason to hate this film. Or its director, because you had never seen anything he had done. Let me finish my story before you jump on me, sir. Thank you. Continue. Thank you. Um, But this movie definitely, like, intrigued me. Because I'm like, oh, okay, what was... What was this? What was this? What was this? And if I didn't understand a scene, I went to Wikipedia to be like, okay, that's what that was supposed to be. And there's a lot of facts about this one. I think there were a couple that kind of made me go, really? And they shocked me, but I'm like, well, it was 1976. So, okay, that made sense. So rather than talk about all of those things now, I think we should get into the film and get the deets. All right. So this week we watched Taxi Driver. This was... uh Directed by Martin Scorsese, the infamous Martin Scorsese. Um, written by Paul Schrader, stars Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, a very young Jodie Foster, Albert Brooks, Harvey Keitel, Leonard Harris, Peter Boyle, and Sybil Shepard. Definitely one hell of a cast. This is what you would say the is the beginning a, of careers kind of cast. This is a, an ensemble. Yeah. This movie originally released February 9th, 1976, though I think its broader release wasn't until 78. Yeah, because it was a film festival movie, right? From what I understand? I'm, I'm not positive on that. Uh, it was made on a budget of $1.9 million and brought in a box office of $28.6 million. Damn, it was a success. Hell yes, it was. So where do you want to begin talking about Taxi Driver? So the movie opens, and I want to talk about the score first. You want to talk about the score first? The score unsettled me. Especially the beginning score. Okay. You have this kind of like jazzy, sensual score, and then it goes, I'm like, why is it so aggressive? Like, that's what I put. Like, the music is calm and aggressive at the same time. And apparently this this score is a really big, like, people love this score. I love this score. Do you I, own this score? On vinyl? Yeah. No. Are we going to own this if score? If I can find it. A true fact. This is, uh, so the score is... 
a single piece and a much bigger puzzle with this. So, like, the entirety of this movie is designed and tailored to put you inside of our protagonist's head. Our protagonist being Travis Bickle. Mm. So this score, while it seems like it's a little all over the place, it's it's really not. It, it's very, very much designed to deliver you that film noir feeling, because this whole movie is, it's a neo-noir. I thought film noir were supposed to be in black and white. No, not necessarily. It's like, just a characteristic, it's a, not a... It's a neo-noir. So a neo-noir is like a modern noir film so like neo-noirs generally are in color but they ha- they carry those film noir themes okay like the music and if you notice the way the characters talk to each other the way the dialogue flows is is very it's almost rehearsed <laughs> like it feels very over dramatic well, in a, a bit. movie they do have to rehearse you know what i mean it doesn't feel natural so i need the definition of a noir first you want the actual definition? I need the actual definition of noir because what I thought was a noir was a French lady sitting in a room in underwear with a cigarette crying about her life. A film noir is a style or genre of cinematic film marked by a mood of pessimism, fatalism, or menace. The term was originally applied to American thriller and detective films made in the period 1944 to 54. That's why I didn't know it was a noir film. He didn't say dame or broad. It's a modern noir or a more modern noir. Oh, they called sluts and bitches. I get it now. <laughs> well, but do you get like this yeah, whole movie had that it's, it's theme a of- it's a mood. It's a it's a mental illness or mental instability kind of mood like you're thrown into travis's brain and that's why we can't really give you a play-by-play because we're literally following travis's brain yeah it was hard to understand what was going to happen this movie jumps around a lot it's another one of those that's like it's a bit hard to just describe scene by scene yeah um but as you said like the the score kind of drives it it, it guides, it introduces you immediately. Mm. We open on that gorgeous shot of the cab rolling through the that billow of fog, yep. which is so fucking film noir. It's ridiculous. I, honestly, I was like, is this a horror movie or is this like <laughs> a, an artsy film? Like, what is happening right now? And that's one of those cool things about film noirs is it blurs that line a little bit. Okay. Like, even the lighting in this movie, if you were to switch it to black and white, it would feel very film noir with yeah. the way honestly, shadows are cast. This might have done better for me in black and white. I'd Honestly, I would love to watch this in black and white at some point. We have the TV. Yeah. We just I, have to find the VHS. We have the v- ability. I do own this on VHS, though. We watched the Blu-ray version today, which I believe is the Sony Pictures Blu-ray release. It's like this media book with like a bunch of lobby cards, which I still have sealed in plastic. I never opened those. Uh-huh. And uh, the the case for this thing is absolutely gorgeous. It's like black and white scenes from the movie, which was really cool. When I first saw that, I thought it was in black and white. I wish it was, honestly. I think color distracts the film. And I was very, very intrigued to find out about the ending of the film and what they had to do with the color. You didn't you didn't read that fun fact? I did not. So, at the end of the film, there is a scene where Travis is, you know, goes in literally guns a blazing to 
rescue a young prostitute. Yeah, this is the big climax of the movie. And I read that to keep their rating R instead of going to X, which the Motion Picture Association wanted to do, they had to mute the colors. Where Martin Scorsese said it helped the film in the end, the original DP said he wished they kept the originals because they are degraded beyond the path point of saving. So we will never see the true colors of the end of that. You can kind of piece it together by, there's a scene previously when he goes to visit Iris um, in her apartment and you see all the, her apartment is so colorful. It's extremely colorful. There's like 40 or 50 candles, all different colors lit. She's got these bright pastels on. It's a beautiful palette. Now, thinking of a 2022 mind, that was nothing. There was no real violence, in my opinion. But for 1976? Yeah, it was pretty brutal. And then finding out that Jodie Foster was actually 12 when they filmed this. Yep. There was huge controversy behind that. That speaks measures to her fucking acting ability. I've always loved Jodie Foster. And my favorite Jodie Foster film, I'm going to get killed, is Contact. Contact? I love Jodie Foster in Contact. But that's really, that's, besides this, I think might be the only film I've ever yeah, seen her to in. To be fair, you've never seen Silence of the Lambs. No, and I'm going to let you in on a secret. I don't like Hannibal Lecter. He gives me the heebie-jeebies, and I don't know how I'm going to feel once we get to Silence of the Lambs. Because oh, I man, know it's a movie a we're going to have to watch. Like, anytime I've seen that man do the thing, I'm just like, that's the point. Oh, it's unsettling. But he's such a nice guy. And just for him to be that disturbing, it's just terrifying. I don't disagree. But that's why I love it. Like, it's so off-putting. We're talking a bit too much about Silence of the Lambs, though. Yeah, well, we go on tangents all the time. Why not? That's true. Um, I was also very shocked to find out how young Robert De Niro was. This whole cast was young. I remember watching Sybil Shepard. She had her own sitcom show at one point. Sybil. On NBC years and years I think, ago. I don't think I've ever seen that. My parents used to watch it, if I remember. Um... I remember, yeah, Sybil Shepard had a television show, and I watched that in, like, the 90s, and Jodie Foster had seen a contact. Robert De Niro I've only heard of. Like, I haven't really seen his movies. Like, the first movie... I'm gonna get killed. The first movie I ever saw Robert De Niro in was Meet the Fockers. Are you fucking kidding me? No, that's the first film I ever saw Robert De Niro in. How? Because I am a freaking worm that lives underground under a rock, okay? Apparently. Jesus Christ. I didn't watch films growing up, and if I did, they were Disney. Oh. Oh, I lied. Jodie Foster? Actually, the first thing I saw her was Freaky Friday. She was in the original Freaky Friday. Oh, Christ. Look, not everybody is a movie snob like you are, Mr. Nightmare on Elm Street at three. Listen, I wouldn't call myself a movie snob. Maybe a horror snob. You admitted you're a coffee sm- snob at the rest- at the um, grocery store yesterday. That's true. I'm, I'm becoming one. And it's, you know what? I'm okay with it. <laughs> you gotta be a snob about something, right? I guess. <laughs> so the next thing I noticed, the score, while gorgeous, it was just that beginning that I noticed. Um, Very evident, this movie was never intended for 4K. Oh, the f- no. The film had s- that close-up of De Niro in the cab in the beginning. 
I was like, you could see that 4K was like doing that camera thing where it was like, focus, fo focus, focus. It was having such a hard time catching the details because I'm like, De Niro has freckles. Now he doesn't. Now he does. Now he doesn't. Is it the camera? Nope. It's the 4K transfer and it's not doing good. <laughs> the movie looks beautiful. It looks though. beautiful. Ignore the 4K. Like, ignore the high def. I love old films like these on tape and on actual film. I'm getting to the point where I hate them on Blu-rays. I hate it. Because to me, it loses something when it's like, oh, look at the 4K transfer. Yeah, now I can see every single flaw. With film, they could get away with hiding flaws. Just means we'll have to buy the tapes for everything. Oh, no. Like, we already <laughs> don't already. So... The first real scene we get introducing us to Travis is um, the scene where he actually goes in and applies for a job at the cab company. Mm. We don't know what he was doing before this. We don't know how he came to find himself in New York. We do learn in this scene that he's ex-Marine. He's ex-Marines and... Uh, we start to get an idea of, like, who he is. Like, he's a loner. We learn that he doesn't sleep much. He has uh, he has extreme ins ex insomnia, and he can go days, even weeks, without sleeping. Which really does not help mental health at all. No, that just adds to his yeah. mental state. I mean, you've, you've dealt with me when I have some insomnia. And my insomnia is I sleep for a couple hours, and then I'm up, and then I'm down, and I'm up. And that just absolutely makes me nutty. I cannot imagine what this man... It really is going on in his head on week two of no sleep. Yeah. And just popping pills and drinking alcohol to stay focused. He's going to porno theaters to fill the time. Because he has no uh, no idea. Like, oh, I, it's, it's a film. What? Yeah, and we are going to learn... We'll talk about it a little later, but like how disconnected from fucking reality, reality is, and society I mean, he is. If you're applying for a job where you work 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. as a taxi driver in New York in the 70s, you're asking, asking to just go fucking bazonk at that point. Um, I have a fun fact about this scene. Ooh, fun fact. So the... He goes in and he's talking to somebody. I, I don't know the character, who the character is supposed to be. But that somebody, first scene? Yeah, I somebody. the manager. Yeah, manager of the cab company. Mm. Who, you wouldn't know this because we haven't gotten to that movie yet, but. It's somebody important. He's played by Joe Spinell. Wait, 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 help me. I know Spinell. Spinell sounds familiar. Joe Spinell is the lead actor of the film Maniac. I did watch that. That's the poster we have by the door. No, I watched the no, Elijah yeah, Wood version. You didn't see that. I haven't watched that one yet. And the second I re this is the first time watching this movie, I realized that that was him. And I nearly shit my pants because in <laughs> in realizing that, the only thing that came to mind was the first thing we see is Travis staring at a metaphor of a reflection of the insane person that Travis is. He's literally staring into the face of a maniac. <laughs> I fucking loved that. I don't know if it was intentional, but now with that film existing, yeah. I don't know if that was made before. I'd have to double check. And That's why we have the internet. 
I have to make sure it's Joe Spinell, not. That's why I know Joe Spinell because I look at his fucking name every time no, I walk in the door. Maniac was 1980. Oh wow! So this happened before. Before Maniac. Maniac, but it's a fucking beautiful coincidence. I absolutely love it. So for everybody listening that knows me really well, he said the word maniac. And instead of paying attention to him, I had to really hard get back on the train. I started singing a K-pop song in my head by a band called Stray Kids. If you know, you know. Okay, so anybody listening, Leah's been canceled from this podcast. We're going to continue on without her. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you going to talk to? The cats? I'm going to talk to myself. Yeah, because you're a great conversationalist. (laughs) Um, So... There were two things I noticed about the opening scene. Yeah. Um, when he finally gets in, the, uh, when he's with the manager, the manager goes, what are you, moonlighting? And I'm like, moonlighting? Wait a minute. That's a prostitution term, isn't it? Right? I googled moonlighting. It is not. It just means to have a second job. Back, like, like all moonlighting means is you have a second job. Okay. So you leave one job and you moonlight another job. Because you're working at night yep. in the moonlight. I'm like, oh. That makes a lot of sense, actually. That does. That does. The second thing I noticed that caught my eye is when he's driving the cab down New York and he has that opening monologue. You see a like one of those arcade signs that says fascination. And a memory jumped in my brain. Now, back in the 70s or like the 50s, 60s, 70s, there was a game called Fascination. Google Fascination Arcade Game. Googling. So Fascination is a game where you sit down at this, like, it kind of looks like, you know, that game that's at Dave and Buster's where you roll the ball and it goes in little holes. This is kind of the same. Ski ball. Ski ball. This is kind of the same thing on a smaller scale where you have to roll these little balls and make matches. And it brought me to a memory where way back in, like, the late 2000s, I used to go to a campground amusement park called Nobles in Ellisburg, Pennsylvania. And they were one of the only places remaining that still has fascination in the park. And you can play and you can win prizes and all sorts of stuff. But it just brought me back to this memory of this simple game and it being so popular. It's in the middle of New York City. And I'm like, Wow, that's kind of cool. I've actually played one of those games, and I actually know, like, the history of that. Like, they had, they, from what I understand, they had tons of, like, fascination games from all around the country that they salvaged. And it was, like, a quarter to play a game, and you could win a bunch of stuff and tickets. It was really cool, but if you look at it, it's like skee-ball on a very small scale. Yeah. I don't know, it just... It triggered this memory from like, good God, I want to say like 12, 13, 14 years ago now for me, where I was like, oh, this is a kind of a cool game. I'll never need this information ever again. Cut to taxi driver. And I'm like, hey, I think that's one of the cool things about going back and watching these older films is that like they sometimes will show something in the movie that just like jogs a memory or yeah, it'll be something you had seen as a kid and you have never seen again it's kind of cool this definitely did trigger and i i mentioned like another one to you which was poor man cereal that my dad used to do well why don't you explain that so my dad and i vaguely remember this memory vaguely when my dad used to describe poor man cereal 
is where you take like Wonder Bread or a white bread and you shred it up or cut it up and put it in a bowl with milk and put sugar on the top of it. And you just eat it. Now it's actually like they use like cream and stuff and sugar and they bake it and it kind of makes like a bread pudding type thing. Um, but I just remember that I'm like, wait, my dad used to tell me about that. He also told me about another run and he used to eat it all the time. And I used to laugh at him, but as an adult, I still make it. It's where you take elbow macaroni. Okay. I am making myself known of how much a loser I am. It's where you take elbow macaroni and you cook it, but then you put it in warm milk with butter and salt and pepper and you eat it like, like a soup or a cereal, like warm elbows and warm milk. That honestly sounds disgusting. It is so good. Don't knock it. I'm going to make you try it. Whole milk, too. I'm not mm-hmm. fucking trying that. Um, but yeah, like it just triggered this weird memory that I'm like, my mom used to say, like, oh, why does your father eat that? And I'm just like, I don't I don't know, but I remember the bread and the sugar and the milk. And then I remember that. And I'm just like, what the heck is going on with this movie? For anybody watching that hasn't seen Taxi Driver, there's a scene where he eats this poor man's cereal yeah. at his apartment. That's why. That's why it triggered yeah. for me, yeah. Um, there was another small scene with him that kind of triggered it. Um, how cheap taxis used to be. It was 65 cents a mile. Yep. I think the last time I was in New York City was, I think, late 2000s. No, it was 2014. I was actually going to see a K-pop concert with my friends and it was there was a blizzard happening we left our car in new haven and we had to take the train in and we were delayed because obviously there was a huge blizzard that came through so we were stuck in new york city and i remember the taxi the side of the taxi said like two something a mile and my friend was like oh it'd be easier if we jump in the taxi because i was having a hard time walking because obviously if everybody knows, I just had a surgery on my ankle and this whole fucking left leg just doesn't work. Hasn't worked since like 2009. That's another story for another day. But um, but I remember them, oh, let's just get in the taxi and drive the mile. We'll just pay cheap. And the driver was like, oh, because it's a blizzard and he could tell we were tourists, he was like, it's, it's higher. It's like three times higher. So he was going to overcharge us like 10 or $11 to just drive a mile. <laughs> And I remember like, ah, New York is kind of scummy. Cut to this guy thinks New York is a cesspool. And that's what he says, like, I think at least five or six times. It's a cesspool. It's a cesspool. Yeah. So throughout this movie, you're essentially, you're getting these moments where we're just hearing Travis's thought process through this like film noir narration. And he's talking about how all he sees is the filth and the the degradation yep. of the There's trash in the streets, there's hookers, there's just angry people. I mean, it it was really kind of telling of how corrupt New York City and how gross how New York City is. Sleazy. And- I think sleazy is probably the best way to put it. Like, I've only been to physically in New York City. I've been to Times Square. I've been to Queens before. And I didn't think it was that bad. I was like, oh, okay. I was warned my whole life. From when you're not from New York, people tell you, don't go to New York. You're going to get robbed. You're going to get mugged. You're going to get killed. I didn't mind it. I I liked New York. New York was pretty decent. Maybe I went on a good day. Maybe I went on a bad day. I don't know. I have no idea. But... 
Like I've always had this fear as an outsider. If you're not a New Yorker, you have a fear. And I mean, we've been to Boston, we've been to Providence and Providence is, is so small compared to New York City. Like Providence is like, I don't know, a backlot tour version of anything New York might be. Yeah, New York, it's got a whole different fucking atmosphere. It's a whole fucking like, island. It's, <laughs> I've only been twice. Both times were you went miserable. You on New York, New York Eve. Oh, my God. You went on New Year's Eve with a friend once. You yeah. Were ins- you, no, I'm pointing to him. You were insane. <laughs> like, that was a uh, an absolute fucking you go shit again? show. No. <laughs> like... Both times I went, it was not a great experience, but, like, I never had anything happen to me. Yeah. Like, even on when we went on New Year's Eve, we didn't get anywhere near Times Square, but it was, like, where we were, there was nobody, like, we didn't run into anybody. The weirdest thing that happened was when we were waiting for the train back home, the uh, pimp came into the station and was just sitting across from us. Did he have, like... Like a, like a purple suit. Oh, like we're leopard. talking. We're talking long, furry trench coat. Oh yeah, baby. Big heels and a feathered hat. Like it please was, tell me, you walked up to you with the limp, going, "What's up, motherfucker?" I would have been like, no. "Yes, <laughs> yes, the experience was he fulfilled." Did, he didn't talk to us at all. Oh but man, he walked. He strutted his ass in oh, and God. sat down. It was that's hilarious. when you're sitting there going, "You want to make movies?" <laughs> Oh, God, it was so funny. The weirdest thing that happened in New York City to me is we, the snow started and we were like, okay, the concert starts at this time. We're a little early. Let's go get lunch. And I told you this story before. And we went to this Chinese place in like a little ways away from Times Square. I don't remember what it was called, Uh, but I'm sitting there and we're like, oh, we're going to get drinks. And our waiter comes by and he's like, oh, and for you and for you. And he looks at me and goes, Leah? I went, oh my God, it's somebody I was in um, drama class in high school with in New York City who recognized me. And I'm like, what? How? How?" He goes, you haven't changed. Mind you, this is 2014 and I graduated in 2003. So like, eh, I'm like 29. Like, I'm not really that much older. But, you know, thankfully, good, due to good genetics and a chronic illness, I will never age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I only have tiny little crow's feet next to my eyes. <laughs> Thanks, chronic illness. <laughs> so these stories aside, the way this film depicts New York is in a much darker light. And did you notice the, the scenes that are darker and grittier? It's just nasty. Like absolute nastiness but when they're in the sunlight and when they're in like busy sections it's clean it's clutter free there's policemen there there's like order and but when it's dark and gross it's chaotic yeah i feel like is that a representation of what he feels in his mind all the time like when he has just a bit of hope like you only see the happy and the hope in the sunlight when he's around Betsy but when he's in the taxi it's dark it's it's dreary even the the moments where he's still in the taxi and he sees Betsy it's dark and rainy like i feel like the taxi is a metaphor for his mind too he's trapped in this like this going through the motions yeah and I'm like, oh, I hate this movie as a purpose. Uh, I wanted to hate this movie. I wanted to. I literally think everything in this movie is designed to feel like it's in his head. Mm. So, like, 
every little aspect, like down to Betsy's coworker being like so close knit with her. Like, but awkward as hell. But awkward as hell. Like the whole conversation that Travis ends up having with her at the coffee shop, where he's like, "I don't like that guy." I could tell. I could just feel, feel that, he, that he's that just, yeah. there was no connection between you two. So, like, I think what we are seeing of him is what Travis sees of him, not what he actually is. But when they were interacting without Travis being there, it felt like normal coworkers. Like, oh, what are you doing, Jerry? Why are you driving me nuts? water cooler banter like normal stuff like and when you're not when he's not in the scene and there's only a few where he's not in the scene he's outside of it yeah so like he's kind of seeing into it and you're hearing their conversation it just feels like oh okay it was really normal like but all right so at the same time at least from my perspective mm. each time we see betsy talking to someone else so like her coworker, mm. she just naturally talks with like a f- slightly flirtatious vibe to her. Yeah, which is fine. A lot of women did that back then, but I, to me, watching this because everything f- for me is through Travis's point of view. Mm. Even those moments are his projection of how she acts with other men. Okay. So maybe she's not actually talking to him like that, but that's how he thinks she's talking. Travis is seeing like the whole, oh, hey, how are you? How's everything? I like him. You don't like him because he's actually being flirty and awkward, or you don't like him because you've built him up to be the bad guy in your brain. Like in the scene where he comes in and he's like, hey, how come you won't call me? How come you're talking to me? How come, you know, what, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And I started getting like angry at Travis, like, you don't know her. You don't know anything about her. What are you doing? And the guy was like, hey, back off. This isn't the place. He was concerned for everybody. He was like, this is not the place to do this. You need to go. Like, take it somewhere else. Like, you know, you two can talk, but you got to go. You gotta- and he seemed like he was protecting everybody. Yes. So it's like, okay. Like, Travis does have this, like, people can be good, but it's overshadowed by this this grimy, sleazy mentality that he has for everyone in the city. Yeah. I think a lot of what we're... Like, it's hard to really gauge anybody else in this movie because we... Like, because we're living it through Travis's eyes, Mm. basically, we are also slowly seeing how unhinged he actually is. I didn't think in the beginning I was like, all right, well, he said he was ex-Marine and he was honorably discharged and he's trying to get his life back in order and he's only 26. So he's a young guy. Like, okay, you know, shit like that messes you up. Well, you, yeah, won't. you can assume he has some kind of post-traumatic stress. Yeah, like, okay, there's something up with him. But then it slowly just gets worse and worse and worse. And to the point where by the end of the film, I'm not sympathizing with him, but I almost think that this break or whatever fucking psychosis he goes through is for the better i somewhat agree and i want to get more into that when we get closer to like talking about the end in detail Mm -hmm. um but something i want to ask you right now is did you notice the details that show you how out of touch with reality he actually is Okay, so a couple of things was when he's bored and he can't sleep, he goes to the um, the porno 
pornographic theater. What are those called? Nudie theaters, X-rated theaters, adult yeah. adult theaters. Adult theaters yeah. And he just gets and he tries to flirt with the front girl. Like, hey, what's your name? Like, and she's like, no, back off. We're not doing this. Because she probably has every dude doing that. That is a good first one, yes. Uh second one I noticed where he's like, Oh, sometimes I have to clean the cum off the back seats. Sometimes I have to clean blood. I don't care. It's not my cab. Whatever. And all the other cab drivers are like, nope, don't do that in my cab. Like, you have to have some respect. Wait for it till you get home. Like, nope. But Travis just kind of turns a blind eye and is like, whatever. And as this movie goes along, he just gets more and more like, like, just discon like disconnecting. Like, you just see somebody just pulling the plug very slowly in his brain the whole time. I have a couple examples that are a bit more in depth. What I miss. <laughs> so the first one I wrote down was that uh so when Betsy goes on the date with Travis. Yes. Uh well this technically it'd be the second date, which is where they go to the movies. When they go to the theater, yeah. So he takes her to a dirty movie. Yeah. And she understandably gets upset she's like oh are you is this a porn pornographic film he's like no i see tons of couples going here and like she gets upset and they leave the theater and he's like very he's apologizing to her and she's like you you, are you kidding me you really took me to this like it's because he doesn't understand the difference yeah he's like oh it's a theater he sees couples coming to these theaters together all the time he doesn't get that it's for a different reason he doesn't understand that you know they're going to get their you know, get all hot and bothered and then go bang later in their, you know, their apartments or their hotel rooms. To him, it's like, oh, I guess this is romance. So in your mind, you're like, what has this kid been through? Like you said, he's very young. So you you assume he went to war long before maybe he even ever was with a woman. Yeah, because would the Korean War? No, Korean War. My grandfather was in the Korean War in the 50s. So I'm assuming Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam would be the likely yeah, one. Yeah, maybe he was in the Vietnam War, and that's where he was discharged from. But it's like, okay. The the one where he's like, oh, sometimes I have to clean up the back seat, and that's fine. And I was like, that's not fine. No. Like, you shouldn't be letting people do that. The one that really got me was, so after the, the date at the theater, hmm. he tries to call her. A few times, and uh, we actually see him on a payphone with her at one point. And he asks her during this conversation, uh, "Did you get the flowers I sent you?" And she, you can't hear her side of it, but you can definitely tell she's like, "I didn't get any flowers." What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and he's like, "Oh, I don't, I don't understand how you didn't get them." But then I think it's a few scenes later, like there's. Oh. Piles of bouquets, like all stacked up, slowly dying in his apartment. He never even sent them to her. He, he bought, bought them, them and brought them home. Brought them home, never sent them, but thought he did. I was wondering where all those flowers came from. He's he can't. He's so out of touch with reality. He thinks he's doing these things, but he's not. Oh shit! I didn't even put two and two together. I was like, oh, I thought maybe like. Like, something happened to him, and he's like, oh, this is somebody giving him flowers, but, like, shit, I didn't even put two and two together. And Scorsese, when that conversation was happening, he panned to the long hallway looking out, and I was like, there is a meaning behind this. 
And I feel like the meaning is your conversation is falling on deaf ears. Like it's going in and then just going right out. Nobody's listening. Was he really on the phone with her? Or did he just try calling every Betsy he could and they were just entertaining him? There's a lot of questions like that you could ask about this whole fucking movie. What is even real? You could go that in-depth with it. Most people don't. Most people take a lot of it at face value, which I think is fine. Welcome to Grindhouse, where we analyze everything. We overthink the shit out of every shot. We are professional (laughs) overthinkers in profession and in our personal personal lives. I think there was alcohol in that hot chocolate, sweetie. (laughs) Either that or it's, you know, 1030 at night and I'm exhausted. Oh, there was another, there was another out of touch scene. Where did I put my, where did I put my notes? Um, he gave me the creepy puppy dog vibe. And what that means to me is he is sleazy. He is creepy, but he's still innocent. There is this weird innocence, um, about him that just makes him appear creepy. Where in his mind... Is he really saying these things? Like when he's like, "Oh, did you get the flowers? Oh, I, 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 I sent you flowers. Well, how come? Can I call you? Can I call you back? Like, can I come visit you? You want to go on another date? Like, oh, you're busy. Like, but how is he coming off? Because when he storms into the senator's office that she's volunteering at or she works at. Like, he is like, how come you won't talk to me? How come you won't call me? Why are you ignoring me? I know you're here. You know I know you're here. And he just does a 180 and becomes like the creepy stalker. So he goes from innocent to stalker in his mind and it just keeps fluctuating. And it's like, at at one point you're like, what's real? Is any of this even like, did he really storm in there? Or is that in his mind too? That's a good question. Like. (laughs) (sighs) There are reasons I love this movie. Um, one of the the big major things about this that happened throughout this film is uh, Travis continues to cross paths again and again with this young prostitute named Iris. Hmm. So he he first meets her when he's he's just sitting in his cab, or he pulls off to the curb in his cab, and she hops in the back trying to get away from her pimp. Yeah, she's like, just drive, just drive, just go, just drive. Which I forget what she calls him. Sport. Sport. Uh, she She's begging him to go, and then the pimp kind of drags her out of the cab, tosses 20 bucks in, he's like, mm. just forget about it, it didn't happen. And he holds on to this crumpled 20, and he refuses to use it. Yeah, he doesn't... Because it bothers him that he just drove away. The whole, Yeah, the whole moment sat wrong with him. He felt like he should have done something. Yeah, because he, he usually turns a blind eye to that shit, but like seeing as how young and I mean Jodie Foster like, okay. Jodie Foster doesn't even have boobs at this point. She, she is not. twelve. Like I remember like, oh I know Jodie Foster was in like movies when she was younger. But I didn't realize how young. When they started production of this she was twelve. When they finished and the movie came out, she was fourteen. But still, like, this movie's heavy for a 12-year-old kid. Like, Jody, you okay? How you doing in there? Like, you you mentally? You you great? Is that why you did contact? (laughs) 
It was all because of fucking taxi driver. Taxi driver made her uh, fall in love with a cannibal <laughs> and uh, decide that aliens were posing at her dad as her dad. We'll get into contact. That is in our wheelhouse. Oh, God. Contact is like three hours long. And I love it. Fucking hell. It is brutal. And you're going to kill yourself. I know it. You're just going to be like, oh, no. I'll load the gun now. We don't have a gun. I'll get one. (laughs) Uh, But so that's how he meets her for the first time. And then he like kind of bumps into her a couple times just while he's driving around. Mm. And he sees her again and again, and he like it's like this constant like reminder of like I gotta do something until he finally decides to. He actually goes to find her. He physically goes to find her, books her as a prostitute, goes just so through he the can ho- talk to her. Yeah, goes through the whole motion, and she's like, "Oh, are you here for a good time?" And she gets on her knees and starts unbuckling his pants. He's like, "No, no, no." You're a young girl. You should be in school. You should be going on dates. You should be living your life. Why are you doing like, this? Don't you want to go home? She's like, like oh, no, I'm, I'm happy here. I'm happy here. And she's visor- visibly super uncomfortable. Like, just living is just super uncomfortable for her. And it's like, she talks about, oh, I, I don't want to go back with my parents. They're a bunch of squares. And he's like, and you think this is fun? You think being a prostitute, a young prostitute in New York City is fun? And I'm just sitting there going, he's like so wholesome at this point. But but then the stalker thing is just like, what is happening? Like, well, this movie confu- confuses you on a psychological level. It does, because you have a lot of different paths that Travis is walking at the, all at the same time. So he's, he's going through this thing with Betsy. He, which that leads him... To uh, toward this vigilante um, assassination attempt mm. because he he like he feels that he has to do something to prove that things need to change. So he's like he ch- decides to like buy guns and he's gonna assassinate the before he presidential does all that. Candidate. He has a run in with Palpatine. I know it's not Palpatine, but I can't. <laughs> Senator Palatine. Palatine. Palatine yeah. So he has a run-in where him and his campaign director are in the taxi with him. And he's driving around. He's like, wait, aren't you the, the senator? He's like, yes, I am. And he has a good conversation with him about how the senator's like, things need to change. And I love talking to people like, like this, like normal, to hear what you guys have to say. And yes, I agree. He's like, yeah, but once you're president, you need to do something about this. Like, you can't let this go on. Yeah. And the movie emphasized and Martin Scorsese emphasizes that there's trash in the streets. There's, you know, gangs running around. Like, there's a scene where this this gang just starts humming, like, wood and bricks and bottles at the taxi as he's driving around the, the town. You know, there's prostitutes everywhere. And I Googled, because I was really curious, I Googled how bad prostitution was in the 1970s in New York, and it was bad. It was rampant. Holy shit. Like, I know there's still not hating on on sex workers, not hating on them at all. What I am like, that's bad, is the young women who ran away, kept by these people, like, like these, these, like, sex trafficking kind of things. And it's still rampant today. It is. It is a huge, huge problem. Well, this movie, 
the entire uh, core of this movie uh, showcases a lot of different themes. A lot. It, it kind of it try. It's trying to say something about society at that time. Yeah. And we're talking about things like there's themes of anti-government. There's themes of anti-establishment. Uh, racism was a big one too. Racism, vigilante justice. Yep. Uh, I can't even put words to all of it. There are a bunch floating around in my head. I went cultural, cultural appropriation. No, I don't know if that one was in there, but hell, let's just throw that out there just for, you know, but it also showed like, it showed you American Bandstand, which was like, oh, look at these young people having a good time on television. And it showed you all these shows and movies where these women were either being abused or they were being belittled. And it was, you know, it, it really showed that the seventies were not this romanticized time that people show no. it as. The, it, there was a lot of, it was like all those little reminders of like, things aren't as good as you think they are. Yep. Things are like the American bandstand thing for me is like, it kind of speaks like polishing a turd. Yeah. It's like, this is what we want you to think it is. Yeah. But it, life from life New York is not City, like this. you know, young people dancing and having fun, but yet you have these young girls being forced into prostitution. You know, these these kids in these gangs. You know, this that that scene where the the store clerk is being held up by the young kids saying, "Give me all your money." Now you have to think when Travis shoots him and kills him, he's thinking in his head, and I did too. Oh my God, what did I just do? He's a young kid. He's probably just trying to fend for his life in this cesspool of a city. Well, but he's, he's also thinking what he said. He's like, I don't know what to do. This this gun isn't registered. Yep. Like, And I think it's really telling that the shop owner when immediately is I like, got this, don't, don't worry, worry and about it. Get out of here. Shit out of the guy. Like he takes the gun for him. He's going to get rid of it for him. Like that's. It's telling how bad it was. Like, he's he willing said, to oh, cover up this when, murder. When he's going to hit him, he's like, this is the fifth fucking punk that's done this this year. And I'm like... Fucking hell. Holy <laughs> shit. Like, what do you have? A professional like, oh, I just got to call the mom and be like, hey, uh, I got a body for you to get rid of. Like, god damn. Does, that makes me think, is New York any better now? Uh, these days, with how rough things are, I... It might be worse. I mean... When I was in New York City at night, I did not see prostitutes everywhere and gang violence and anything like that. Well, that was also before recent history. Yeah. I mean, but now, like, with everything happening with, I'm just going to say it, like, the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, like, we're taking steps back. Yeah. And... You're looking at this and it's like, oh, this is saying something about we need to make changes. Now you're looking at it 1976, 2022. That's like 40 something years, maybe 50 something years. doesn't feel like anything's changed sometimes. It feels like we're even farther back than we should be. I agree. Let's not get very political no. because this is not a political podcast and I don't want to get yelled at. Um, there are actually a couple of things that I... I wanted to mention mention earlier, but I don't want to let them slide. So okay. some things I noticed about this movie is like there's there's a lot of emphasis on detail. Mm. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, uh, one of the things that comes to mind is they're doing a lot. Scorsese does a lot to showcase the world surrounding our protagonist at all times like throughout every scene he's constantly being observant not like not just in terms of Travis but like the camera itself is being observant so there's tons of moments where somebody will be like people will be talking Travis will be there and he'll completely drift focus to something else and he's just staring at a dude in the cafe just staring and just staring at him, just going blank when people are talking at him, and I'm like, or when he puts the Alka Seltzer in the drink, and, and he's just, just like stares, at stares it. into it. The one that I actually noted was when he act, when he goes to ask out Betsy for the first time. Hmm. He goes in there, he interrupts her conversation, and he's very, uh, what's that word? Where you're Cocky? confident. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, this is basically. <laughs> He's very, he, he's exuding confidence in that moment. But he, he comes oozing. in. What? Oozing. Oozing. <laughs> yeah. he, he comes in and he's talking to her about, like, I see you in this place. You're surrounded by all these people. The phones are all going off. You're, you're bored. You're lonely. You're lonely. But to emphasize this moment, like, they could have just literally held on him. Yeah. But instead, Scorsese decides to do this overhead shot following his hand over the desk. And you just see the clutter. Yeah. And the, the, the chaos that she sits in front of every day. And she's alone in it. And it's it's like, okay, is this guy crazy or is he have truth? I think he has truth. Like, I think he's he's an observant character. Yes, he's fucked in the head. Mentally ill. But he's observant of the world around him. Mm. He sees the things that most people are overlooking. So, like, he sees that she, yes, she is keeping herself busy. She's surrounded by people at all times. But she's alone to some degree or another the way he is. He's surrounded by people every night as he drives around the city. He's got people in his cab, but he is alone. Yep. So he sees that connection between them. And I think that's a really cool, uh, it's a cool thing that this movie does is it like it brings attention to those details. There's a great example of that with a fun fact attached to it. Oh boy. So he picks up a fare 
which is a gentleman in a dark suit oh, I with can't. dark hair and a beard. Yeah, we got to talk about yep. this. <laughs> and it yields one of, it is my favorite scene and it yields one of my favorite lines. And I will leave that for closing questions because, oh, dog it. But he pulls up to the, you know, he says where he needs to go and he pulls up and he turns the meter off. He's like, what are you doing? I didn't tell you to turn it off. Turn it back on. I don't care if we have to sit here all night. I don't care what I have to pay. We're going to sit here. And he doesn't get mad at this whole interaction with this gentleman. He's like, do you see that woman up there in the window? Second window? That one right there? Are you looking? Are you paying attention? Are you looking? Yeah, see her? That's my wife. You want to know what's funny? That's not my apartment. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her. He says something very nasty. Very nasty. Um, And it's just Travis listening and observing and paying attention to everything he's staring at the woman he's looking at him in the rearview mirror he's looking at the entire surroundings do you would you like to deliver your fun fact before i go into something on this the gentleman that is talking about killing his wife is none other than mr martin scorsese it is indeed it is and i have a caveat to your fun fact caveat go on that role was originally played by somebody else and Martin just stepped in? No. Uh, so they cast somebody else in that part. They were ready to shoot that scene. And the guy didn't show up. So Scorsese just jumped in. He was like, fuck it. We have to shoot this scene. I'm gonna, I'm just going to do it. I mean, and Scorsese is- con- conveys an angry man who found out his wife's cheating on him. And Very well. honestly, he probably pushed his anger for the actor not showing up into that part. Oh, God, yet. Yeah, because you're like, <laughs> I feel like this, this is, it's uncomfortably real. <laughs> he, that, it's like the best scene in the fucking movie. Uh, I, it really is. I love that scene. And I think for so many more reasons than you can guess. <laughs> okay. Explain away, Mr. Director. So that scene has a lot of meaning to me. Okay. That scene is, for me, the turning point of the whole movie. Do you think that's where he snaps? Not so much where he snaps, but, so, like you said, you, you have this guy, he's in the car, he's ex- explaining... He's just barking. He's basically giving Travis an example of how fucked up things are. Yep. Like, that's my fucking wife up there. That's not my apartment. She's up there with some other dude. And then he's he's saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her tonight. Then he explains how he's going to kill her. In great detail. He says, I'm going I'm going to kill her with a 44 Magnum. Don't say my favorite line. I'm not. But he goes into graphic detail on how he's going to kill her. And to me, whenever I watch that scene, that is it. He's like he's delivering this whole monologue possibly giving Travis the idea that the wicked need to be punished uh, and how he could punish them because the next thing is he f- contacts Andy the gun dealer yes okay. and the the icing on the fucking cake I don't think this would have been anywhere near as powerful to me if it wasn't Martin Scorsese playing the part because he is literally directing his actor on what to do on what to do oh my he god he is directing his character t- 
toward the path he needs to take. And he's filtering <laughs> how passionate he is about this movie, how angry he is that this guy didn't show up. And that's why that scene feels so uncomfortable. It is horrifically terrifying when you really think about it's it. It's too meta to talk about. <laughs> I love everything about it. Oh, God. Because he, he then literally goes out, buys a 44 Magnum, he among buys other things. four guns. And does and starts on a path to punish yep. people. Like, it is awesome. On a path of righteousness. So before we stray away too far, yeah. I would like to talk about how I like Robert De Niro. I haven't seen him in many films, but he's a national treasure. Everyone loves Robert De Niro. If you don't love Robert De Niro, you're wrong. Sorry, I just squeaked and scared the cat. Um, but I never knew the famous movie quote, are you talking to me, was this film. I thought it was always The Godfather. No, God no. I always thought, are you talking to me, was The Godfather. So I'm watching the scene where he's like, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? And I'm sitting here going, I don't see anybody else here. I don't see anybody. Are you fucking talking to me? I'm sitting here going, my life is a fucking lie. <laughs> I have See what never... happens when you don't watch movies? <laughs> Shut up, Tedro. I have never thought about where that... And I've used that line. Are you talking to me? Like, obviously, it's emphasized. And over the years, it's. I thought it was, are you talking to me? Are you fucking talking to me? Well, say hello to my little friend. I realize I'm mixing Scarface and Taxi Driver What the now. fuck? <laughs> Look, I've never seen either until tonight. Um, never seen Scarface. I don't know if I want to see Scarface. Because uh, I'm not an Al Pacino fan either. But, you know. I like Al Pacino, but I don't like that movie. I don't like Godfather and I don't like Scarface. But eventually we're going to have to do them. Ugh. I know. I know. Let's, let's not talk about that right now. That'll be in 2025. 35. 45. Do, do you think we're going to be doing this for 20 fucking years? You never know. Do we have enough material to cover 20 fucking years? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, this is episode 45, you said? 45. 45, which means we're closing in on the end of the year pretty quickly. Yeah, we're, we're very close. And technically, if you count all the movies or tapes on one row, we have done one row of tapes. Yeah. And we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine. We got 20 rows of tapes in not this house. Not to mention all the bins in the closet. Let's not talk. And the extra. One day, we will have to put up pictures on a website. We're gonna, we've are we got to make our own website. And we will show you exactly what this apartment looks like. And eventually, once we make the archive in our future place. Because I have a book nook in his little alcove of tapes. And I have to rest my feet on some tapes sometimes. That's how many tapes we have. We have a lot. We have a lot of tapes. We have a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, like, hearing that line, I looked right at Sean and went, is that where this line is from? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, whoops. Never knew that. <laughs> and I can hear my friend Joe in my head just be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm watching this whole movie. And I have to tell you, I can hear my friend Joe in the back of my head going, you're finally watching this now? Now? This is the same man that made me watch Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket 
when I was totally not ready to watch that movie. <laughs> and I finally watched this movie and I'm like, are you out of your goddamn mind making me watch this? Same man who thinks Larry David, Curb Your Enthusiasm, is the greatest sitcom in the world. <sighs> I hate awkward, uncomfortable comedy. I hate it. I can't stand it. I just get like the heat, like, like bugs, like ticks are crawling on me. And I'm just like, <laughs> I can't. Oh. Before we completely glaze it over, that is not Scorsese's only appearance in this movie. <laughs> what? Where? How? Is he really playing Jodie Foster's character? I <laughs> thought that. Yeah. He actually shows up one other time early in the film. It's the, the moment where we see Betsy for the first time, and it's just Travis like talking about when he saw her for the first he time. the door? No. No? He was the guy sitting outside of her building on the, like, the stoop. Oh. He's just sitting there in like a black t-shirt. <laughs> it's just he's just there. I don't know why. Maybe that was gonna be his cameo, and then the other thing happened. <coughs> Water went down the wrong tube. Mm. This is it. I'm coming home. Goodbye. <clears throat> Maybe that was supposed to be his cameo, but I don't think this movie would have been as good if he wasn't playing that irate passenger. I agree. Like, 100%. That scene is chilling. Gold. Every time I see it. Because it's raw. It's real. That's why I liked it. Yeah. Uh, what was the other fun fact that I saw? Okay, so here's a fun fact that I was reading because it's right on the Wikipedia page. Do you know who John Hickley Jr. is? That name sounds familiar. I'm going to read this word for word from Wikipedia. Oh, boy. Taxi driver formed part of the delusional fantasy of John Hickley Jr. that triggered his attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan in 1981, an act for which he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh... Hickley stated his own actions were an attempt to impress Foster, on whom Hickley was fixated by mimicking Travis's mohawked appearance at Palantine's rally. That's right. When Scorsese heard about his motives behind the assassination attempt, he briefly thought about quitting filmmaking as the association brought negative perception on the film. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. I was like, I was reading that going... All right, I'm not a huge fan of Scorsese, but this man could not get a break with this fucking movie. First, the association was like, it's too gory. You're getting an X rating and it won't be playing. Then this dude literally copycats Travis to impress Jodie Foster, who at that moment wasn't even 20 yet. No. She was literally 18 (laughs) or 19 at that point. People people who find (laughs) insanity... A good thing, like oh, I'm gonna do this for insanity reasons for good, like good. Re- Why do you do these things? What? Uh, what? My other one that that absolutely bothers me is um the dude that got an autograph from John Lennon and then fucking shot him hours later. Yeah. Like you're a huge fan of this man. You waited and got his signature, and then hours later you shot him dead on his front steps we'll never know we'll never know what really goes through these people's heads like what in the world i'm just i am baffled by like yes you you need help you have mental illnesses like mental illness awareness 
in the world, not even just this country, in the world, needs to be addressed harder. Yeah, I agree. Like, you've said it how many times to me, you need to see a therapist. Because I've got things going on in my brain I can't fix. None of us can fix stuff. At least I'm still self-aware to know when it's a good time to open my mouth and when it's a bad time to open my mouth. Yeah. But there are people that need more help. This whole movie is like an advocation for, like, mental health awareness. Yeah, it really is. Like, if he had mental, if he had mental help after being honorably discharged, if he had a therapist, if he could work through his problems, would he be the same person? Would he have been so aggressive with Betsy? Would he even taken the chance? He saw this blonde woman in a white dress that looked like a goddess to him. Why does she look like a goddess? And why in my brain do I think she looks like someone in a porn film that's beautiful and blonde and all that? Why did he gravitate to that? I have something that might touch on that, but we're going to wait. Everything we've talked about, even though we're going a bit out of order throughout this whole thing, basically leads to the the point where Travis is has had enough. Yep. He goes to the rally uh, where he's going to attempt to assassinate the senator. Is it, it, is he senator, a senator Palantine, yeah, senator. Um, he doesn't succeed in doing that. No. He actually gets like spotted before he can try. He does, I don't even think he goes through with it. I think he hesitates, in my opinion. I think he does hesitate, but then they see him, so he like runs away, goes back home. Mm. But that night, he does go to... The penthouse. To go yeah. to help um, Iris. Yes. And this is the big climax of the movie. So he, he goes up to the pimp and the pimp doesn't recognize him because by this point he shaved his head into a mohawk. Yeah. And he's... He looks very looks different. a lot different. Um, but he has a short conversation with the pimp. Kind of, I think, kind of to see if he recognizes him. Mm. And the um, pimp just dismisses him like he's nothing. Yeah. He dismisses him. He's like, do I know you? Do I know you? And Travis shoots him in the stomach. Yeah. Um, he then goes into the... Is it a whorehouse? Or is it just like a... They say it's a. Uh, it's like... um. It's like an apartment building that they took over. Yeah, it's like... Oh, before we keep continuing, um, do you want to tell everybody who the um, pimp is? Oh, yeah. Our lovely pimp... Um, what was his nickname? S- Sport. Sport. Matthew is his real first name. Matthew is played by none other than the infamous Harvey Keitel. And I'm looking at him going, all right. Almost unrecognizable in this movie. Because he has long hippie hair and he has, but then I can see Harvey Keitel in my head, like his older things. And then I hear the voice and I'm like, I know that voice. I know. And I'm looking at the cast and I click on his name and I'm like, holy shit. It's like the dude grandpa. Yeah. In this movie, he's he's full on pimp. We're talking. He's young. He's got like a the pimp hat. He's got the red bell bottoms that are pulled up to like his fucking. With platform shoes. With platform shoes. An open white shirt with the bell sleeves and a vest. And he's got a glow stick around his neck. And I'm like. Dude. Did you catch? Oh, he did the he did the hey bro. No, the his his fingernail. 
Oh, he had a Coke nail? He had the Coke nail oh, on no, his pinky. What? Well, he did say something. Did he say something about Coke? I don't I think at some point, at yeah. At some point he did, but I'm like, oh my God. And then I'm thinking to myself, did they put a fake nail on there now? Or do you think he was like, nah, I'm going to grow it out he for probably, this part? He probably put that on himself. Oh my God. That was probably an actor thing. Dude, like, this dude is a respectable actor, like, now in my mind. Like, oh, he'd never do something like this. Cut to the 70s. We're like, yeah, I'll play a pimp. Like, whoa. Uh, but go on. Go on about the climax. So the he goes into this apartment building turned whorehouse and uh, basically starts blowing his way to the top. Like, he's shooting anybody he comes in the doorman who takes the money for the apartments he blew his hand off first and the guy's like i'll fucking kill you i'll fucking kill you he's bleeding all over the walls the floor he's throwing the gun out of his hand harvey Keitel comes back in and shoots travis in the neck in the neck his neck is (laughs) spurting blood he's still going he is pure adrenaline at this point gets up to like the second floor or like the landing and this dude comes out of Iris's room, come to find out from the newspaper clippings, it was a mob boss leader for New York. Yep. <laughs> um, and I was laughing at that going, oh my God, they're going to hail him as a hero. Sure enough. Um, he shoot, shoots him and then Iris is like, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. And then he blows the fucking doorman's brains out. And then the scene, like that scene was crazy. Like I understand why they were concerned for Jodie Foster's mental like faculties but the best part was that he does all of this it's absolute chaos all these people are dead he puts the gun to his own chin and he's out of bullets he checks his other guns and he's out of bullets so he just sits there and he mimics shooting himself in the head wound as the cops come in but then the scene leaving the apartment and I think that's the best cinematography of the movie is you're watching the camera slowly leave you see the cops just standing there like what do we do it pans to all the blood the violence the guns everywhere and then it zooms out to where people are trying to get into the building people are stopping them they're putting the crime tape up and it's nothing but pimps and whores and all of this and then there's the whole street is lined with trash and scum and you're seeing things not from travis's point of view but the camera is literally zooming out going this is what it looks like this is the reality this is the like this is the reality like this is normal and i was like that ending scene i'm just sitting there like oh but wow that's not where the movie ends no it is not we do learn in the the next scene basically through a letter from iris's parents through a letter voiceover from iris's parents that thanking travis for saving their daughter for that she is home safe she's going back to school she's trying really hard to get her life back together and it's all because of him and they would do anything to thank him if they could and then and, there's newspaper clippings depicting the scene and then yep. him being hailed as a hero, getting rid of a mob boss, saving this girl. And yeah, I'm like, we learned that he was in a coma. Yep. And then we actually see Travis and he's back at work. And he looks normal. He looks normal again. His hair's grown back. He's yep. got the scar on his neck. And 
there's this last little scene where his friends at work are like, oh, you have a fair. And he looks over. We don't see who it is. He's like, oh, fuck. So he goes, takes the fair. Obviously, by that reaction, you can tell he he pretty yeah. much checks out his fares very well now. He's like, no, no, I'm going to take serious stuff now. And he he gets in the cab, starts driving, and we learn that his fare is Betsy. And she has this urethral look about her. She's smiling. She looks creepy, in a sense, to me in this scene. And I think I have a theory on why. Okay. I don't know for sure, because there's a an edit that disproves this slightly. But throughout this entire sequence, where they're having where they're having this conversation, she's telling him, "Oh, I saw you in the paper. How are you doing?" And he kind of is brushing it off. He's like, "Ah, oh, you know, they blow that out of proportion. Everything's fine." Yeah. But she is shot through the rearview mirror yeah. the entire time until she gets out at her her destination. Yep. And they have the at, when he drops her off. She they have this moment. She asks him how much she owes him, and he. He waves it off. He's yep. like, don't worry about it. And leaves. Yep. And that's our climax. Yeah. But for me, I I can't help but wonder if she was really his fair. Or if that was him in his head letting go. Of her or just letting go of everything? Of all of it. Like, she was the symbol of the perfection that he was aiming to bring with... His act of uh, heroism, heroism, vigilantism, whatever yeah. you'd call it, and him saying goodbye to her in that way was you don't owe me anything, you don't owe me anything, we're, we're good. fine. Yeah, I'm just gonna go. That was him letting go of all of it and living a life for himself. Now, what is the edit that disproves that? The fact that they cut to her outside of the car. I mean, it could still be where it is a real person. It's just another blonde woman. Because when he drives away, we see the back of her. Yeah. So what if it's just another blonde woman? Which it probably was. But I th- I wish they had only showed her through the rearview mirror. Because she says, oh, I- I've read you in the papers. How are you? Could have been anybody. Yeah. And then she says, what do I owe you? It's not, oh, you know... How are he doesn't say, oh Betsy, hey, how are you? He's just like smiles and he's like, oh, you know. I honestly I side with you. I think it was just another blonde woman. I think it's one of those we'll never know. Yeah. But since when he's driving away that final scene where it's just the back of her, maybe it's not Betsy. Maybe it was just another woman who was like, why did he just not let me pay? Like what just happened? Yeah, I don't I personally don't think it was her. Yeah, I I will agree with that. There's too much symbolism. There's too much mental instability in this film for it to be as cut and dry as it was. Agreed. I do have a question before we like head into like closing stuff here. Okay. Now that you've seen this movie, do you see the parallels with Joker? Oh fuck. <laughs> do you see why that was getting so much attention. It's essentially the same film. It's very, very similar. It's like a cross between that and another movie with De Niro, King of Comedy. Who directed The Joker? 
uh, Todd Phillips, I think his name was. I, I mean, could be wrong on that. It does take the same mental instability. It takes the the, the grossness. It's not beat for beat identical. No, but it's got a lot but of similarities. It's too many coincidences. Okay, because we did see the Joker, and I love the Joker, but you also were like, a lot of people are not happy because it's way too identical to this other film. Is that why you wanted me to watch this film? No, that was just uh, happy, happy coincidence. coincidence. Okay. I will say I like this one better because I believe Joker's living up to a standard of that that I don't think it can reach. Yeah. Because it doesn't have Martin Scorsese in, uh, in a cab being like, I'm going to kill my wife. <laughs> Should have just called Martin and have him do a scene like Makes that. Makes you wonder, did he actually shoot his wife? <laughs> Martin, did you kill your wife in that scene? Inquiring minds want to know. We need to know. All right. But that's the story of Taxi Driver. Yeah. One other thing that I actually would like to bring up, because we actually made it through this entire thing without really many uh, fun facts. Yeah. So one thing I'd like to, to mention, just because I feel it's worth talking about, Robert De Niro worked for 15, worked 15 hour days for a month driving cabs in preparation for this role. All the shit he must have seen. He also extensively studied mental illness. And you said he lost weight for this film. He lost weight for this film. And during his off time, when filming 1900, which was, I guess, another another film he was doing at this Mm. time, he visited a U.S. Army base in northern Italy and tape-recorded conversations with Midwestern soldiers so that he could pick up their accent. I didn't notice the accent. He did all of that extra work. Just for... Just to play Travis Bickle. Wow. That's fucking dedication. Committed. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, there's another parallel to the Joker. Um, Jonah Quinn Phoenix did the same thing. Joaquin Phoenix, yes. Never. <sighs> <laughs> Jonah Quinn. It will always be Jonah Quinn. I will never break. I know it's Joaquin. Uh, um, but he did extensive research too. He did all that shit for that. That's because he posed as that character for so long. Because he's a method actor, isn't he? He gets into parts like that. Who, De Niro or uh, Phoenix? Phoenix. Yes, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is a method actor for sure an extreme method actor which method actors well, are scary there was that whole <clears throat> there was that whole uh controversy uh some years back where remember he went on like david letterman and he was like had that wicked long beard with the sunglasses and he was just acting he was, like, like out off. of it yeah but that's because he was in character promoting a movie uh i think the movie's called I am still here. Yeah. And he's playing this, like, out there character. Mm. But, like, nobody knew that he was promoting a movie. He just came on the show in character. Because everybody was like, is he okay? Is he yeah. quitting acting? Everybody like, what's happening? Everybody thought he was fucking insane. <laughs> no, no. He's just a crazy actor. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But I think that's a really cool thing. Like, you had people so fucking... 
sold that you had just lost your mind. <laughs> it makes you think, does he go home to his wife and his kids like that? I fucking hope not. <laughs> Jesus. God. Method acting is a... It's a scary... It's a scary thing. Like It's what killed Heath Ledger. It's what killed Keith Ledger. It's what basically drove... Jim Carrey to the point that he's at now and that man is like he fractured somewhere Jim Carrey <laughs> will always be a very beloved character or a very beloved actor of mine oh yeah I love him and everything but Jim Carrey is also what happens when you put your heart and soul into Hollywood and Hollywood gives you nothing back agreed I am very grateful that Jim Carrey is still here today because he could have gone the same way Robin Williams did. Because Robin Williams, while the most loved and hilarious and warm human being, had probably the worst demons in his brain. And you know Carrie's fighting the same shit. Yeah. And you wonder if half of these actors are even going to make it. I just hope that they are stronger than the others. Stronger. <laughs> Maybe a little smarter. Seek help. Seek help. Seek help. If you're going to be a method actor, just understand in the middle. Is it C. Thomas Howell? That is also... There's somebody who is a method actor. Not... Or Thomas. If there's a Thomas in it. Where he'll act and then he quits. And he takes a year or two off. And he just kind of like resettles into being himself. And then he goes back to acting. Maybe it's... C. Thomas Howell was in Gettysburg. That's probably where I'm getting confused from. No, I, I'm pretty sure you're thinking of Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, yes. Because he played Lincoln. Yeah. And he lived Lincoln's life for like a year. And then he did the part. And then he was like, all right, I don't want any scripts. I don't want anything. I'm quitting acting. I will be back when I'm ready. Well, this is that's what he does for every part. And he, I think that's the smartest thing. Very you know, smart. You know what he actually does? Like, is he a woodworker? He's a cobbler. Yeah. He <laughs> he basically does something. He said he said in an interview, and I think I read it where I was like, that makes sense. He's like, yeah, you could be a million dollar actor or actress and have all this money and shit, but if you don't have something to keep you in a in a a like humdrum kind grounded. of grounded. You're gonna go nuts. Especially if you're doing method acting like that. Method acting is dangerous. It's very dangerous. I mean, when I was at one point in my life, I wanted to go to Juilliard and I wanted to be a theater actress. I wanted to perform on stage. You really have to become that character because you will be scrutinized. Yeah. A movie can cut you into anything they need to. When you're on stage, you are it. You have to entertain on stage without the ability to edit or change. And that's why a lot of theater actors just, by the time they're in their 40s, they're burned out. Or they go to Hollywood acting to get this different kind of, but then they'll go back like David Tennant. David Tennant was a theater actor, went to acting in Hollywood, went back to theater. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of classically trained actors flip flop like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, Stu Patrick Stewart, um, Ian McKellen's Ian done McKell it. Oh, Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen, never die, please, <laughs> please. Patrick Stewart, never die. 
Who's the other one? Who's the other one that we we're all like? Christopher Lee already died on me. I'm mad at him. Um, who's the other one? Who's the son of a bitch? Harrison Ford. Do not die and stop making Indiana Jones movies. Uh, All right. We got to close this. <laughs> Overall thoughts on the film. It was a thought provoking film. This is probably one that I'm going to sit here and think about for a couple of hours before I fall asleep, honestly, because mental illness has really been grating on my brain. Probably the last like, how long have I been out? Like out of work, like three months, three months. Yeah. Just because for a good portion of it, Sean works, you know? And I'm home alone and people have lives and I don't see people. Now I'm able to venture down the stairs, you know, and leave the house because, you know, I don't have to use the scooter anymore, but I still need walking aids and I'm still in the boot. And it sucks. But I was alone with my thoughts for days and it was literally wake up, use the bathroom, eat food, elevate and rest. That was it. Like... There was, in my mind, seven weeks of no end in sight of this. And it it kind of broke my brain a little bit to the point where it made me kind of think about what my next steps in life are going to be. I'm not saying it was negative, but there were days where Sean wasn't here and he wouldn't be here for Mondays are the tough ones because you're gone from like 10 a.m. to like almost 10 p.m. sometimes. And it was those days where I would be completely alone. And you're like, yeah, I have the internet and I have YouTube and I have movies and I have all sorts of stuff that I can reach out to the world. But nobody was reaching back in for me. And it's like, this movie really made me think like, mental illness is not, it's not a fucking joke. It's not to be taken lightly. No. And people who sit there and be like, oh, you're mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm mentally ill. And you know what? I'm not proud of it, but I will say it proudly because if you accept the fact that you have a problem, you are miles closer than denying it. And that's it. And this movie kind of, well, I wanted to hate it because I just don't like Martin Scorsese. I don't like the things he has to say now, but he's an old man now. I mean, yeah. same thing with fucking, uh, who's the other director I can't fucking stand? Martin Scorsese and uh, him. Who did The Godfather? Coppola? Yeah, Francis Ford Stupid. I don't like Coppola. I don't like, even though Coppola did Dracula. Um, and I love Dracula. Dra- You're just eating your own words here. <laughs> Y'all stupid. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to hate this film and I was like not I asked Sean I was not looking forward to this film I'm like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna hate this I'm gonna hate that I got into it I think you came out of it with something I came out of it with the perspective of I need to start calling therapists (laughs) honestly that's all I ever hope for is to get something out of it I hope that you get something out of the things that we are watching so I have a question for you what did you get out of walking hack-a-lantern the other week did you have a profound sense of, like, mental illness needs to be looked at? Or did you have a profound sense of, you're the devil's son! Me, 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 me. Yeah, that's all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> that has been blasting in our heads for days, guys. Oh. I had a friend of mine come over. 
every week and we watch K-pop videos and Sean's just sitting there and I think that's the only song that's playing in your fucking head is Devil's Son when we're sitting here for four hours watching K-pop videos. Oh my god. <laughs> Usually I try to schedule those nights when he's working. He wasn't working that night. <laughs> oh. What were your thoughts on this film? So this is uh this is a Scorsese movie that I've always loved. I don't love all of his stuff. But See, even you hate him. No, I don't hate him. There's just some movies I don't like that he's done. And that's fine. I, there's movies I don't like that Kubrick's done as well. Or and, Carpenter? Or Yeah, Carpenter has a few that I'm not super fond of. But this is one of my favorite Scorsese movies. It might be my all-time favorite Scorsese movie. That's, really? It's a toss-up. There's a few in there that I really, really like. One, I just, I feel like it's so well done. It's so, like, it nails its points perfectly. And it's, it's like this perfect artistic vision Mm. that doesn't stray away from itself. It, It just, it follows the path it sets out to and delivers this very internal story. Which you don't get anymore. No. Like, it's always... Everything now is just so cookie-cutter and in-your-face. And this one is just so fucking, like, personal to this character. You literally live out this entire story through his mind. Yeah. And it is... It's amazing. It's a, it's visually a, a gorgeous film. The sound's great. The score is awesome. I will say... This is the first time a movie has cold ended that I'm okay with. I don't want to know what happened to him. Wow. Yep. I think. You heard it here first, guys. It was because it's Martin Scorsese. I got to give him a bone. shit. But <laughs> we saw just in that last glance, he's fine. He's okay. He went through his whatever he had to. He's fine now. If he has another break down the road, who knows? But, yeah. See, I, I wouldn't entirely call this a cold ending when you really think about it. Because, like, I he, mean, he wraps all up. Right, lukewarm. It's a lukewarm ending because we don't get, like, and he lived happily ever after. It's It, it ends. Like, he drives away. That's but it. We don't know what it happens. It ends with his, his resolution. Okay. So, he does. It closes his story. Hmm. Now, I think we are both going to have the same answer to this, but any favorites? <laughs> Let me get my notes, please. I do that noise when I want to annoy Sean because he doesn't know how to do it. I can't do it. <laughs> so, my favorite line is Mr. Martin Scorsese as Scorn Lover saying, do you know what a 44 Magnum would do to a woman's pussy? If you've never seen what a 44 Magnum barrel looks like, it is about seven to eight inches long. Now imagine, if you will, ladies, somebody jams a 44 Magnum up your cooch and fires. That bullet is ripping you inside and there's no coming back from that. It's going to obliterate you. Holy (laughs) hell. For scientific purposes, I wish this could have been covered on Mythbusters. Because now I'm sitting there going, no, Martin Scorsese. What 
happens when you take a 44 Magnum and blow a lady's pussy out? I'm pretty sure you'd look like a fucking one of Gallagher's watermelons. <laughs> oh, it would God. be raining, bitch. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know why the song from Game of Thrones, The Red Wedding, Reigns of Casterly, oh god, came on and instead it's the Reigns of Cunterly. <laughs> just dun, 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 just bits of lady. Just, oh shoot, there's her clitoris. Like <laughs> Oh, back on track, please. Dear God, that whole scene is my favorite. It is. Because now knowing what happened during production, like, there's a reason why that scene's so passionate. And I'm sitting there going, I'm uncomfortable (laughs) because he's mad. And De Niro's just sitting in the thing going, is he mad at me? Is he really mad at me? Oh, what's uh, what's your favorite, sweetie? That's my favorite. The that, fucking cab scene. The two of us looking at each other when he said that, I was like, oh my god. That has always been my favorite scene. It is, like I said earlier, I feel like it's the turning point of the whole movie. And it, it was so good. It It's perfect. It is such a perfect scene. It's And the fact that it it's that way by accident is amazing. <laughs> That guy quitting was the best thing that happened to that film. Agreed. <laughs> Does it work? Yes. It also gets plagiarized. <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, this movie works. And I think it's good we didn't do a complete play-by-play because the next question would be, would you recommend it? And I think, does it work? And would you recommend it with this movie go hand in hand? Yes, it works. Fucking watch this movie. Please watch this movie. I went into this not wanting... You guys heard me at the end of the last episode. I didn't want to watch this. I was like, oh, God, why? Why do we have to watch this? I'm glad I did. I really am. Like, maybe these, you know, acclaimed directors have something to say. Whatever, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'm just being a hoity-toity snotty bitch that's like, it's not a Disney movie. (laughs) I I wouldn't ever say that, but you know what I mean? What about you? Does it work? And would you recommend it? This absolutely works, and I highly recommend it to anybody that will listen. Yes, please. If you haven't seen Taxi Driver, if you like Martin Scorsese films. You like De Niro. Fucking watch this. If you want to see, what what did I call her, Young Foster? (laughs) Baby Foster. (laughs) Baby Foster. Baby Foster. This movie is so goddamn good on every level. I will say there's no nudity. There's a lot of prostitution. There's a lot of weird things. There's no nudity in this film. They get away with it, and it's perfect. It's perfect. It is. (laughs) This next one seems a little bit stupid as well, given the circumstances, but... How would you make this today? (laughs) Well, I would set it in the Batman world. (laughs) No. I would cast Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. Honestly, (laughs) what's another what's a a recent now mundane job that would drive somebody crazy? Customer service. Customer service, yeah. I have 20 years of customer service. I used to work in the moving industry. I moved military members. I loved my job. I did. I loved talking to people that were nice. On the other hand, it was the worst fucking job I've ever had in my life. 
Do you want to be degraded? Do you want to be called a bitch? Do you want to be accused of losing all of someone's stuff because it's a day or two late? Now, if you're in the military, I will never shit on you, ever. You're in the military. That's a hard job. If you're getting mad at me because your stuff's late, I get it. I understand. It is fucking frustrating. But from a person that had to go deal with, and Sean was there for me to deal with some of these people. Oh, yeah. My mental health was in the fucking toilet. I had no self-worth. I didn't care about myself. I worked 40 to 50 to 60 hours a day, sometimes 70. I worked Saturdays. I'd have Sundays off. And to me, it was normal. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, I... T- throughout my whole life, up until this point, I've worked retail, I've worked fucking menial jobs, never had any respect. For the fuck fuck's sake, even now, I am just now starting to branch out from that type of life. Yeah. But even now, the job... the locked-in jobs that I have... The non-freelance jobs that I have yep. treat me like shit. Yeah. Yep. And it's not okay. No. Like I'm. It's not. It's degrading at this point, especially knowing that I'm close to getting away from it. Yeah. Customer service, anything, retail, phones, face to face. Whether you're selling a product, whether you're helping with goods, whether you're just physically on the other line with someone, utility, retail, fucking uh, example, Verizon, cable, insurance, people that hold those jobs, I fucking respect you. Yeah. Holy shit. I will never go back. I don't care if I ever lose the job I have. I'm on TDI right now. I'm, I can't work at the moment. I have to literally relearn how to walk properly and do stairs. That's where I'm at the moment. If I were to ever lose the job I have now, because I have a really good job. I do. I will never go back to retail. Ever. I have seen what it has done to friends and family. I've seen what it did to me. And that's where I would see this being remade now. Especially somebody who had to work through the pandemic and never had a break. We're good. Nothing up. <laughs> I, that's where this movie would be remade. You would have somebody working in a customer service every day, day in, day out, listening to somebody's conversation. Even a friend of ours made a point a couple months ago. She lost her husband. She went back to work as a therapist. And one of her clients was like, you'll never believe the horrible day I've had. And she said, sure, insert name here, in her head. She said that she didn't say this to her client. Sure, tell me how bad your day is when I just lost my fucking husband. That right there made me realize that people, especially now during the pandemic, how broken are people now? Where this movie isn't far off where a lot of people's mental states are no and you know to any any of my former co-workers i know at least one of you listens and <laughs> yeah I, we have a super fan we have our super fan <laughs> our super fan uh, 
who I guess listens to every single episode. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I really, uh, you have no idea how much I respect what you do because I've been there. Like I'm in my field now, but I've been there for so long, and I I hope that all of you can get out of it. Yeah. At some point, I hope you can all find your way out of retail life because it is miserable. Yeah. (sighs) But that leads us to, is this mainstream exploitation or other? I didn't think about this. Ah. Can I say all the above, Alex? I mean, technically, you can. Honestly, like... I want to say it is mainstream and exploitation. Okay. I will explain exploit exploitation because he pushed boundaries with this, that whole ending scene, that whole shootout was pushing boundaries to the point where it almost went X rated. It was in a exploitation category for a little while mainstream because it was dealing with the realism and what was happening in the world in the 70s at that time. So I think it leans into both. Obviously, how much money it made, it is mainstream. But with the way Scorsese pushes the boundaries of it, it was leaning into exploitation. So I'm going to put it in both categories. Okay. Well, I don't disagree. Um, This one is very hard to quantify. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say by today's standards, most people see this as mainstream because it's a popular movie. Yeah. By the time when it came out, I don't know if I would put it in exploitation. Maybe the ending, Mm. but the film itself, I feel, is a little bit too highbrow for that. I would probably put it into other. Okay. Technically, if it was one of our three categories... I would call it art house. Is art house a category? Yes. That falls under grindhouse, doesn't it? No. Different thing altogether. Oh, okay. But I would call this an art house film, um, which is not one of our normal three choices, but Mm. so I would say other. Okay. But unless you have anything else to talk about, I think that brings this episode to an end. Shut it down, baby. All right. Well, don't go anywhere just yet. Stay tuned for the coming attractions. sent from New York to investigate murder in Sleepy Hollow. How much of your superiors explained to you? Only that the three were slain in open ground, their heads severed from their bodies. Taken by the headless horseman, taken back to hell. He rode a giant black steed to look at him, made your blood run cold. Even today, the western woods is a haunted place where brave men will not venture. We have murders in New York without benefit of ghouls and goblins. 
You're a long way from New York, Constable. Is everyone in this village enthralled to superstition? We have many things to talk about, even in this backward place. Excuse my manner. I'm not used to. Female company? Murder! The Osmonds killed again! The assassin is a man of flesh and blood, and I will discover him. Are you so certain of everything? Perhaps there's a bit of a witch in you, Katrina. Why do you say that? Because you've bewitched me. dear. Leah. Nothing after Leah. Wow. Dick. We've anyway. already said. <laughs> hey, honey. Yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> um, I'm not ready to let go of Halloween yet. And what is quintessential spooky ooky Halloween other than Tim Burton? Oh, boy. Yep. So you would think, Tim Burton, what are we thinking? Nightmare Before Christmas? No, Corpse Bride. No, we're going Sleepy Hollow. Yes, this film actually came out at the tail end of our our wheelhouse October here. October of 1999. I remember seeing this when I rented it at Blockbuster and brought it home. And I fell in love with it because I always knew Christina Ricci from Adam's Family. And I was like, what is this? I love this film. I love Christopher Walken. I love Johnny Depp. I love Christina Ricci. I even love the mom. I love that actress. Mm -hmm. I think she's awesome. Um, But a lot of people think certain staples for Tim Burton. I want to say something controversial. Fire away. I hate Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. I think it is... Not enough of a Halloween movie for me to watch it, and not enough of a Christmas movie for me to watch it. I have friends who adore that film. Love it. Best Tim Burton film ever. No, I think this one is. I love the way he plays with color. I love the story that he twists from the Ichabod Crane's tale. I like how it pushes boundaries in my mind, whereas somebody else would be like, oh, it's just Sleepy Hollow. It's just, you know, whatever. This movie made me rethink how I liked horror when I was a kid or like a teenager because I really got into Event Horizon, which was horror. But this was like, oh, this is like a softer side of horror. It's like using like an actual legend that I liked the tale of Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman to like a real place. Like Sleepy Hollow is an actual place in Massachusetts. And I've visited Sleepy Hollow. And let me tell you, that covered bridge is creepy. I've never been there. I always wanted to go. We're going to go. We're going to go to Salem and we're going to go to Sleepy Hollow. And then we're going to go to Boston and it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, right? (laughs) I've been trapped in this house for so long. (laughs) So long. Uh, I, uh, fun fact, I actually saw this in theaters when it first came out. This was one of the first movies that I ever saw in theaters. 
Do you know how hard you suck right now? <laughs> I would have killed to see this one in theaters. Yeah. Instead, uh, I saw um fucking Star Wars. My mother and my grandmother took me to see it. Your parents are so cool. <laughs> and it was awesome. <laughs> I remember it being so cool. That opening Daddy, with the pumpkin. Take me to oh. some movies, please. <laughs> I don't remember details of this movie. I remember Christina Ricci being blindfolded and then like trying to touch people and i'm then i remember like the stepmother the climax i remember that and another fun thing mm. about this next episode this is we're gonna watch this movie on vhs so we've been transferring <laughs> films for a while and while we were watching taxi driver this was recording digitally to the computer so we're actually watching because i didn't have enough time to buy the blu-ray we're actually going to watch this on a VHS cut. And Sean's first comment was, ooh, ooh, it's already warping in the beginning. And he got so excited. And I cannot wait to have that little bit of grain and the grit. And It's going to be fun. <sighs> Only we would not care if a movie is warped or gritty or grainy. <laughs> I loved sitting here watching Jurassic Park on my birthday on the little black and white TV with the shitty sound. And it was warpy and weird. But it was just perfect. Perfection. Perfection. All right. Well, I think that brings this video. This, I think that brings this episode to an end. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to bring this episode to an end. If you want to keep up on everything that we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grindhouse Cast. You can find us on Discord where you can chat with Leah about Hello. this film or any of the films that we've discussed in the past or you can suggest us some new ones all the links for everything are going to be down in the show notes listen to us give us a rating on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher or wherever you get your morning fix new episodes come out first thing every monday morning if you like what we're doing and you want to show us some support you can find all that information down in the notes as well you can support us directly through Acast, or we have a Patreon where you can unlock ad-free listening or get yourself some fun bonus episodes, which I'm actually about to release the first two <gasps> in the coming days. So get on that if you want some extra stuff. Until next week, I'm Sean. I'm Leah. Thanks for listening, and keep watching. Ooh. I don't know why I did that. It's not even Halloween yet. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 